welcome to the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of Secure Your Strategy Podcast, where your host, Chloe Mastagi, provides strategies to leaders and managers on how to repair critical issues in security and tech. We're glad you've tuned in. It's time to secure your strategy and your stakeholder approval. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hi, everyone. My name is Chloe Mistagi, and I'm your host of Secure Your Strategy podcast with ITSP Magazine. And today I have a wonderful guest. It's hi. You want to tell the lovely people who you are? Hi, Chloe. Thank you for having me on. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Itai Moore. I'm the Senior Director of Security Strategy uh, at Cato Networks. Yeah, so today we're just going to have some fun in this conversation. I think the first thing is like today, you know, this is pre-recorded ahead of time, but RSA conference announcements went out today. If you were accepted or rejected or if you were alternative, Itai, what, what was the news for you um, so actually I, I view this from two different angles because I actually submit to the conference, but I'm also part of the conference committee. Um, I was on hackers and threats, uh, track for several years and now I'm in a different track. Uh, so I get to view both sides. Um, so on the, on the submitting side, I was happy to be accepted into, of course, not, not the track that I, that I uh, judge at. Um, it was interesting to see the submissions. Um, I know nobody would guess this would ever happen, but so many submissions around AI and about usage of AI, both for uh, defense and for attack and how it's vulnerable and, and different elements. Um, on the other hand, we had a lot of submissions that were very unique and different that had nothing to do with it, that I, I, I actually, we actually accepted several of those that were talking a little bit more about the human factor and, and intelligence around uh, other areas that are not necessarily AI. I have a feeling that on the um, vendor floor this year, we're going to see a lot of Gen AI and AI powered as if we haven't seen that in previous years. So uh, I think it's something that's important for people to get acquainted with and know how to ask the right questions because every vendor is going to be claiming AI superiority. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we kind of got a sense of it last year. Everyone was talking about AI, but when they were talking about AI, they really were only specifically talking about chat GPT. Um, and so I, I look forward to seeing what it's going to be like this year and hoping that it's going to be more than just generative AI. It's interesting that you brought up that you saw a lot of, you know, CFPs that have entered the, the ring that was basically a lot about AI. And it makes me always wonder how many of those submissions are probably created with the help of ChatGPT? Because I feel like now when I use it, I see like a similar pattern. So now I'm like, oh, that's definitely a chat GPT submission. I don't know if you got that too as well. So I didn't see actually in, in our track, but I'm pretty sure that it is being used. After all, that's it's there to help us be creative, right? And assisted co-writing and co-editing. Um, it's funny also that some, some conferences now, uh, keep in mind that RSA started their submission process probably like six months ago, if I remember correctly, but some that I've looked into now actually have a specific checkbox that asks, have you used ChatGPT to submit this? Uh, so they want to know it uh, ahead of time. Um, but I have to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm very pro using and pro utilizing these tools. Uh, I think one of the more kind of extreme examples for that that I can give you is as soon as ChatGPT came out, 
universities, I teach at Boston College, of course, in cybersecurity, and universities immediately started saying, hey, you're not allowed to use uh, ChatGPT, it's cheating, uh, and so on. And it really reminded me when I was younger, and my teacher said, you're not allowed to use the internet, that's cheating, and that's not a referenceable source. I'm like, really, are you going to stop progress? Uh, so I actually went the other way. I told my students, you have to use ChatGPT. You have to use these tools. Let me know when you do that, but you have to use it as part of your homework because honestly, I, I, I'm not f buying all the hype that AI will you know, replace humans, but humans who know how to use AI will replace humans who don't know how to use AI. Yeah. So I'm all for you know understanding the limitations and the pros and cons of these tools. Yeah, I think it, so. I've used ChatGPT to like be like, all right, I wrote this thing, make it better. And sometimes I have fun with it. Like I love to like have something to it and I'm like make this dark humor or make this John Oliver, make this Trevor Noah style. And just it just it could be a lot of fun to play with and getting to experience like the different versions of what you could possibly be writing or you know, ways of how to say certain things that may be a little bit more excitable depending on who you're talking to and the audiences. So I I will be honest, I've used it before and it was fabulous and it still is fabulous. Um, I know that, you know, a lot of these conferences that are happening now this year, uh, what are some of the ones that you're looking forward to? Um. I'm always happy to, you know, visit Black Hat and DEF CON. Um, I've been having some my thoughts of DEF CON about like some of the things I've seen there, but uh, Black Hat is nice. Uh, there's a lot of regional conferences that are really great. I, I had the pleasure of uh, uh, being in a couple of those last year. Uh, you know, the cities where they arrange cybersecurity events and you go in there and I went in there as a keynote speaker coming from a, a, a different town and you just get a feeling of, a community, you know, everybody knows everyone. Uh, the speakers who go on stage kind of like crack jokes at, at, at others and they know everyone. And it's really great to, to be these events. You know, they're much smaller, much more intimate than, you know, the bigger thousands of people one, but there's a different, the, there's a different vibe about them. And you feel like the sharing and what happens between the sessions as well are really interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't gotten that too much at different conferences. I think at times when I have, it's like a B-sides, mm -hmm. like a smaller B-sides. You get that sense of community feel. Like people are like, oh, hey, how's it going? I haven't seen you for a year. Um, mm -hmm. That's a lot of fun. Um, what are what are some of the conferences that you are planning to possibly attend that are brand new for you? Um. Actually, there's a couple that I'll be doing in Europe that are uh, uh, new. Um, there's a couple of ones that are uh, like MSP Expo uh, mm. that I believe I did something similar to it last year, but not that one. Um, so, and, and what I'm actually looking forward to is is going to attend and to speak at events that are actually not security events, but are you know an industry event that has a security track in it, and you get also different perspective there as well. You know, a lot of times when when we talk about security. It's it's easy for us to say, hey, you know, go patch everything and go to the and we don't see the other side of the people in the field who are not cybersecurity people, but in in a specific industry. I remember a specific event that I had where I was helping a hospital, and I came in and I I, I did a test to them and I showed them different vulnerabilities that I found. I was like, go patch this. This is old. They're like, really, Ty? Um, do you want to take the responsibility of patching some of these systems you mentioned, and maybe you're disconnecting some you know vital systems? Uh, because, you know, 
that that patch could have resulted in something going down. You want to take the responsibility? I'm like, okay, I get it. You're right. And, and just trying to say that it's easy for our, sometimes for me as a security person and for others to say, this is what you need to do. But hey, reality is a little bit different. So it's always good to be in touch uh, um, with industry as well. Another another great example I can give you is um, I have a, um, a masterclass that I do that I talk to security experts from different fields. And I talked to uh, industrial control system experts. And one of them said, you know, the first people that I bring into my team as a CISO, as a chief information security officer, he's, he's in the manufacturing uh, industrial control system, is the engineers. Because honestly, if something happens and there's an attack, I have no idea how those machines work or what they do and what the, well, how it will affect and is there going to be something that threatens life. I need those people to be my kind of like trusted advisors in the security team. So really non-security people, literally the engineers that are hands on these machines, they're going to be part of my security team. Yeah, I think what you said earlier, it definitely rings true about, for example, like cybersecurity. We tend to speak to each other. We don't tend to speak outside of our groups. So like speaking at conferences where there's a security track, say it's like a developer conference, that's really important to have and like to start building those bridges. Because I know we always talk about like shift left or DevSec ops and all that. But the thing at the end of the day is, are we actually doing that yet successfully? And I feel like we've been so siloed between developers or data science or, you know, ourselves and cybersecurity. And I, and it's one of those things is like, well, who's whose job or responsibility will be to create those bridges. I always think it should be a CISO, but I also think it also takes buy-ins from different teams too as well. Definitely. And, and you know, we, we might overuse this, to overuse this term like to be inclusive, but you know where I get the biggest kind of like whack in my head of like, wake up, you, you have tunnel vision. It's actually with my students because I refuse to teach computer science students because I tell Boston College, you know, they're going to, they're going to find cybersecurity at some portion in their career. I want to teach everyone else because they'll hit cybersecurity as well, but they may not be properly trained. So let's at least get them on par. And when I give these assignments out of like open source intelligence or show me what you can do with locating this type of information, they always, every every semester, every time this happens, they prove to me how much tunnel vision I have of like, oh, I'm going to use malware or phishing if I was an attacker. And they're like, they're bringing ideas that I have, I didn't even think they're not even in the scope of what I think about. And they really show me, it's like, you know, he, there's there's a lot more to learn. There's other things aside from what you have been trained in your network and coding kind of like a, a tunnel that you were in. There's other things. And it's 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 always amazing to me, you know, BC thinks I'm there to teach, I'm, I'm there to learn. <laughs> yeah, the, the roles flip. And that's, I think is a healthy way of looking at it too, right? You can't always be the teacher. You have to be the student sometimes and vice versa. You have to keep your mind open to these things. If you're going to come and teach a class, and this applies not just to, you know, professor in class, also standing in a conference and talking to people, whichever conference it is, you have to keep an open mind. And there's a, so much you can learn um, uh, from, from your attendees from different perspectives. Um, the example where I try to kind of trigger this thinking, this out-of-the-box thinking with my students is I tell them, you know, if you have a computer with a piece of malware on it, there's so many things to do with it, right? If you give it to an IT person, they'll tell you, oh, format that computer or burn it and or <laughs> whatever. Yeah. And I don't want it to ever connect my, to my computer, to my network. If you give it to somebody like me with a more of a threat intelligence background, I'm like, hold on, let's keep it alive. Maybe I can listen where it's connecting to, find the command and control stuff. If you give it to a 
somebody from the police, for example, that's, oh, maybe we can find forensics and, you know, connect it to a certain... There's just so many perspectives to the same problem that we do need different people. And that's where I go back to what I mentioned, the diversity. We do need people from from uh, uh, different, you know, ways of thinking and, and from uh, 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 different perspectives to to be in this in the cybersecurity world. Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, otherwise you're going to have products that are not going to be cutting edge. You're going to have products that are going to fail or you're not going to be able to catch all the things either. I, you're going to be one dimensional with, yeah. with what you're used to. And, and you always need to keep the open, uh, an open mind. By the way, criminals do that all the time. <laughs> so yeah. you need to be open minded and, and keep it open. Yeah, exactly. Having that uh, flexible mindset, I would say, is definitely important. I know that, like whenever I think of diversity and inclusion, when we talk about like security, the thing that always goes through my mind is the the need and the growth of bug bounty. Because like Bug Bounty, the reason it's so successful in vulnerability disclosure programs is because it's asking for people all around the world, hey, can you find these vulnerabilities? If you can, please report it to us. And this takes all the weight off of your security team in a sense, in case that they do miss something, because they will miss something eventually. And having the public help and find those items, of course, stay within scope is incredibly important. Um, yeah. You know, it reminded me of, I don't remember where I saw this sticker, but I saw a sticker that said, um, this is out of scope, said no hacker ever. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> something to keep in mind when you're thinking about, uh, do I have everything covered or should I have a bug bounty or have some additional help? Yeah. Things? yeah, if you have a website, it's all happening already. <laughs> and yeah. a story, there's always going to be someone. I mean, think about it this way, going back to like, chat gpt in this conversation um i mean every single person now around the world is trying to bypass certain like boundaries like yeah. what do you mean you can't give that to me you can give this to me and then setting it up for it to try to give you something else and you know you don't now it's like you don't even have to have all the skills in the world to know how to do things that could be very malicious suddenly Oh, that, that has been something that we've seen progress over years now, right? Because, you know, when I started as a kid, I had a modem and I connected, I don't know where BBCs here big, uh, the bulletin board systems, uh, BBSs, not BBCs, bulletin board systems, where I dialed up and talked to people. And, but you really had to know coding and you had to know what you do or some, have somebody tell you about these things. Then, you know, IRC channels opened up and people started creating these communities and sharing information. Then the, the the internet got bigger and there were these forums. Then the dark web got big. And all of a sudden you have people buying and selling. Oh, so all of a sudden you don't need to write a piece of malware. You can simply buy it if you're a criminal. Mm -hmm. And then services came. And all of a sudden you can go to the criminal underground and just like Amazon, it's like, I'll take that fishing kit, that hosting facility and yeah. that hammer. I have an attack up and running. So the bar keeps going lower and lower and lower. And now you have AI, which is like, you know what? I don't even need that phishing no. provider. You want a perfect phishing email in Japanese? Just ask ChatGPT to do it for you or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, what uh, uh, the other AI systems, Claude, the Bard, whatever it is. So, yeah, we definitely see the, the bar keeps getting lower. There's also another side to it, which is um, the more in the the more the world is becoming unstable or if there's uh, areas which are hit hard, you're seeing people like, Take, for example, I, I remember seeing it in early 2000s in Eastern Europe. Uh, people who worked at IT were very successful, very smart people there. 
got laid off. Now you have to bring money to the to the house to the table, so they go into cybercrime because that's their alternative to make money. So while the bar is getting lower, there's more people who are going to be pouring in there, and then you have this dangerous mix of a lot of people wanted to do it, and it's pretty easy. So why know. not do it? And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people tend to forget that you know there are malicious actors, but sometimes intent does matter the context does matter and in, in evaluating like why are they doing what they do i think that's so important and the point that you made earlier which is like well you know you're laid off work opportunities may be very slim so what are you going to do next if you have to pay bills or you know or someone in your family gets sick you know we we try to thrive to be able to do whatever we can and I, I understand that completely. I don't know if agree with the methods, but that's the reality and that's reality. That's what's happening. And it's becoming easier. It's becoming easier to remain anonymous, right? In the past, they had to have different, all kinds of currencies that were prepaid cards and stuff like this. Now you have cryptocurrencies that help you along the way. You have the dark web or P2P encrypted messages mm -hmm. to remain anonymous. So it's it's a lot harder to follow uh, and identify these the people who perform these acts. So it's becoming easier. It's becoming safer. It's almost like a no brainer for somebody who who is in that situation. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. Exactly. I mean, I think that's kind of like the concern is what are we going to see in the next you know within this year in itself. There's a lot of things happening in the world and a lot of uncertainties, and then you know. We, that's when it's time to up your security usually um, and start having these conversations and these plans. Um, how would you go about advising CISOs at this time? Like what are some practices that they should be doing, especially implementing this year? I know revisiting incident response plans should definitely be number one on this point. <laughs> at least have one at this point. Now just have one. Practice it. Don't yeah. don't practice it for the first time when you get your screens start you know turning red and have been ran, uh, ransomed. So, uh, and this this is from my background as as somebody who who trained companies in these types of situations. Don't just have it. Practice it. I can tell you that you know in my past uh, in the in past positions I've held I've trained companies of this, and you train them and you put them into tough situations, and and sometimes you get like responses like oh at this point we're gonna call the FBI liaison and report it. Oh really. Call them right now. Yeah, yeah. I want you to pick up the phone and call your FBI. Oh, I don't have that phone number with me. Then that's not the plan. If you can't do it, then, you know, if you haven't practiced it, if you don't know who the person is, you don't want to invite, invent these things as they happen. So have an IR plan, but play it out uh, as well. Make sure that you have the right stakeholders in the company. I think everybody nowadays understand what we've been preaching for years, that security is not an IT issue. It's a business issue. When you have a breach, you want to have somebody from legal, from marketing. You want to have somebody from PR. You want to have DevOps. You want to have everybody. It's not just the IT's problem. So make sure you make those connections and each one understands their roles and responsibilities when something like this happens. And again, uh, uh, practice it. That's kind of on the more tactical and strategic, le uh, strategic level, uh, sorry, tactical and, and operational level. On the strategic level, if we're talking about this year and the volatility in the world, um, I think CISOs, especially CISOs, uh, vice CISOs, uh, even directors need to also look into not just IT issues, 
Of course, they're looking into um, uh, things like uh, compliance and stuff like that, but also political issues. You need to think about, hey, may I be a target by a threat actor, a nation state actor because of certain things that are happening around the world? Then that goes into my incident response plan. Maybe they're not right now top of mind, but let's 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 look at the MITRE attack framework and figure out what it is that they're going to do when they're going to do it. So you have to go a little bit more strategic and ask questions that maybe are not as tactical as what does this malware do, but rather who is that group aligned to and what may happen, you know, if X or Y happen in the world. Yep. MITRE attack framework. Absolutely. Hands down. <laughs> That's why it exists is to help us, guide us and, and, and all that. Um, I think you made a really good point, which is the practice. I think the thing is like, even if you have your plan and you don't practice, well, it's not going to really matter as much. And it's not just that, but I think the thing that people tend to forget is that when you're put into a situation which is incredibly stressful, you do not know how people will react. They may be great in their practice, but they also may be frozen when the moment hits. And so it's so important is to practice so then people feel more comfortable that it becomes, you know, they, they know that they need to do the next steps without having to be too much in their head. So this allows them to be relaxed and present in the moment a lot more so. Yeah, it becomes muscle memory yeah. once you start practicing. But you also really have to understand who owns what. Um, I can tell you, I'll, I'll give the credit here. It was actually one of the top banks in South Africa that I trained in early 2015. Oh my God, that's like nine years ago. <laughs> I didn't realize. Um, yeah, uh, so in early 2015, and I remember that was when um, uh, ransomware started to get big. It moved from attacking people at home. I think the first real big victim was hospital in California, in Hollywood, actually. And I decided as part of my training, I told the, the, the SOC team, the Security Operations Center, everything is ransomed now, uh, your systems are down. And a couple of the employees stood up and said, that's impossible. You're putting us into a situation that will never happen. And it was actually the CISO who came in and said, no, play it out. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. And, and you know, these things now do, do tend to happen. And people need to also understand the, the responsibility because, you know, something happens. Who has the right to shut down a web, you know, the, the web server or a certain production area? You know, you ask something like this when everything is falling apart during, uh, uh, you know, when you play out an incident and you get this Spider-Man meme of everybody pointing at everybody. It's like, you, you do that. No, it's your job. No, it's not. I'm not taking responsibility over shutting down the, you know, the infrastructure. So it's always better to practice it before, before you have to actually live it. Yeah, absolutely. And practice it nonstop. And then also, you know, try to use some of the people inside your your organization to also help, you know, keep reinforcing the security awareness training that they had. Hopefully they didn't skip over, you know, hopefully they actually paid attention while watching the videos and reading the things and, you know, selecting the quiz answers. Hopefully you still have it remembered because it may be good to also practice those as well because it takes everyone in the organization to, to react in a way that will move things positively. Yes, I completely agree with that. I would mention another thing that I forgot aside from that, if you're planning for for this year, also get acquainted with, of course, with all the uh, the laws and regulations that are out there. There's some new SEC regulations. Um, you've even heard of some of these ransomware groups that are like, if you're not going to give us the ransom, we're going to report you to the SEC and you're going to be in trouble because you didn't say about it in whatever it is, 72 hours or so that you're supposed to report it. 
so get familiar with these rules, with the different geographies you operate in, because the rules in California are different from the rules in Massachusetts, are different from the rules under GDPR in Europe. So again, don't find out about these rules when the lawyers knock on, knock on your door when something like this happens. Absolutely. I definitely have been seeing uh, people sharing about those situations occurring, especially last year. Yeah. Around like each state having different you know, laws. And then the other thing is like GDPR, it just happens. And it's hard to stay on top of all of that. And, and you, when, when you practice these things, you find out, because we used to put companies and CISOs in like a hot seat of like interviewing them live during a, you have also have to choose your words very carefully, because if you talk about, oh, we've experienced a, a data breach. Oh, you said data breach. Data breach is under a certain set of criterias for you know, certain regulations. If you say an incident, it starts a clock on a different thing. If you talk about, if you don't talk about it, there's, you know, other implications because you didn't share information. So again, I keep going back to the same uh, thing is have a plan, which includes, hey, here's what we're going to say to the media in case something like this happened. Here's how much we're going to share. How often do we share information and, and, and get, you know, get acquainted with the laws around it because the regulators are becoming you know, very, very strict about it and serious about the punishments uh, of not reporting and not submitting the information in time. Uh, absolutely. hundred percent. Well, that's a great place to, you know, to leave the conversation, but everyone, uh, thank you for tuning in on this episode. Hi, it was awesome to have you on here. We'll have to have you back. Maybe what we'll do is we'll uh, revisit this at the end of the year and then you know, talk about what were the things that were shared, what were things that were missing, um, and also give predictions for the next year. Happy to do it. Thank you for, so much for having me on. Absolutely. All right, everyone. I'll see you on the next episode. Until then, have a good one. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Secure Your Strategy Podcast with Chloe Mastagi part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share this channel and itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.